Sean. Good morning again. Good morning again. I was, uh, we were praying this morning and I just shared, boy, I have so much confidence in what the Lord has been speaking to me. And I have such little confidence that I'll be able to translate that to you well. So I've been praying hard that uh, despite uh, my stumblings and bumblings that um, that we would all hear well together. I was thinking of a story from 1961. It was a young leader, uh, one of the youngest in the history of our nation, United States, to take the presidency. He took it, the first uh, Roman Catholic uh, to be elected as president. It was a time of great um, distress within the nation regarding communism and uh, nuclear war, uh, the potential of that, the, the Cold War, and yet this very young leader represented um, a hope despite all these distressing things, uh, a hope that the whole country could rally around. And he gave what many historians would say is one of the most profound and significant inaugural addresses to the nation. It was John F. Kennedy. And there's one line in particular that stuck out from, I just watched the address actually, um, there was one line in particular that probably many of you still know. In the midst of his address, he said this, and so my fellow Americans, Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Yes, most of us are aware of that. And what he did, I believe, in a powerful and profound way, is he changed the question on us. He, well, I wasn't alive at that time, but it was so profound that for the nation, he changed the question. The, the question in which we approach and think about and reflect upon our country, he simply, with that one statement, he changed the question. And if I don't do anything else this morning, if you don't remember anything else from the message, I would like us to change the question. And I think it's a neat question that I'd like us to change to. It's a question that I've been thinking about and wrestling with. And here, here's the change, is that many um, ask the question, what would I want in a church, right? I mean, that's human nature, that we have preferences, and that's not all bad, that's about who we are, and we get to ask those questions, that's okay. In fact, uh, this morning, walking in, uh, there was a few folks uh, talking about their preferences this morning just as a little gift to me <laughs> and our services. Again, not all bad, okay? Not all bad. But here's the question that I'd like us to think about over the next seven years. <laughs> I started with 21 years. I've negotiated down to seven What's the kind of church that Jesus wants? 
shouldn't we ask that? Shouldn't I be trained as a pastor to ask that? I wasn't. Shouldn't that be a, a question that, that holds when we, when we think about the church, when we, we think about um, ecclesiology, when we think and wrestle with our preferences and our perspectives? Shouldn't we? I mean, after all, Jesus is the one who came up with the idea of the church. He's the one who established the church in his ministry. He's the one who empowers the church and speaks and reveals what he wants in the church. Wouldn't it be cool? And not cool in an LL Cool J kind of way, but cool in a Jesus kind of way to ask that question, to, to in a sense reimagine church and what we're doing here, not from where we've come from, not from what we've experienced necessarily, not from a place of preference, but from a place of Jesus saying, Jesus, what would you want where you would look down and see the community of faith and the ministries together and take great delight. What would it be like if our church were to put a smile on Jesus' face? Despite our, our fumblings and our bumblings and our difficulties, even our sin, but he knew that we were going after a different kind of church, a church that, that he was envisioned, those, those eternal principles for the church, that he said, yes, do this. I think that when we do that, a lot of the other stuff will slip away. And I, I balance and I wrestle with my role as the lead pastor, um, that I in, in no times want to say um, we're going there, 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 and there, and it's all about me. That is never my intention. In fact, I wrestle more with the side of saying, I, I believe wholeheartedly that all of you have the Spirit, that all of you get to hear from the Lord, and yet I do have a role to play, a role that I think is is casting vision in the future. And I want to do just a little bit of this. How do we answer that question? And, and there's been a, a, a few things. Well, in fact, I could preach a series, I will someday, on this vision. But just to give us a taste of how I think the Lord is answering that question of Jesus, what do you want in the church? What do you want for Springs Community Church? And I, and I want to give us just a taste, a compelling taste that will lead us and then to an invitation, would you build this with me? Would you build this with me? Wherever you're at. Commitment, first time here, I just will lay it out. Long time, wherever you're at in your commitment, I'm, I'm asking you if you would build this with me and the staff and the consistory. So, I have found some of my answers to that question in a church that is found in the book of Acts. Would you turn with me to <clears throat> Acts chapter 11? 
And this is a crucial time in the early church where, um, where they were being persecuted and a scattering takes place. There was a, um, Stephen was martyred for his faith. And we read in Acts chapter 11, we'll start at verse 19. If you have your Bibles, wonderful. There are Bibles located in the seats in front of you if you'd like to find one. And look at that. And would you listen to, I think the Lord wants to do many things in every passage of scripture, but this morning we want to listen to the kind of church that Antioch was. So uh, verse 19, chapter 11, the book of Acts. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. That was the context right now. There was a, still an ongoing debate, is, is the gospel for Jews and Jews alone, or is it for others? And so really there's a primary spreading of the gospels primarily through uh, to the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks, also somewhat controversial, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen to what happens. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw that the grace of, what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. So Barnabas is that leader, that pastor, that shepherd that blesses and encourages and strengthens, he recognizes the grace of God at work, the favor of God in the midst of the church of Antioch. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people brought, were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus. What's in Tarsus? We know in a little bit ago in the book of Acts, there was this young leader he was named Saul, and he used to persecute the church. And then he had a conversion experience and starts to proclaim the gospel, and nobody likes Saul. Not even the church, the apostles, they're afraid of him, right? Then he wins them over, but then um, the Jews are very intimidated, so they try and kill Saul, who eventually will become Paul, and um, the church kind of smuggles him to Tarsus. But Barnabas has a relationship with him. And Barnabas sees what's going on in the church and he goes after Paul. Let's pick it up again at verse 25. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And probably Christians was not a nice phrase, not a nice term, but they gloried in it. 
because it means the little Christ ones. The first place. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. Well, that's interesting. So you've got now some folks that are gifted prophetically. They come from Jerusalem to Antioch and they predict this um, this famine that does take place, and listen to how the church responds. Um, Stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread throughout the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one of them was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So some of the fruit of this church of Antioch is they, they hear, they get a prophetic word from the Holy Spirit, and they gather up, and the generosity of this church sends ministry back to Jerusalem where there's going to be a famine. Now, one more piece from the story. Would you flip over in your Bibles to the end of chapter 12? It involves Peter and a miraculous escape, but we're going to try and stay focused on the church of Antioch for just a little bit here, and look at verse 25 of chapter 12, the last verse of chapter 12. We go back to the church of Antioch, and it says, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, which we had just read about, They returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with the Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. So you've got a variety of leaders. They're gifted in different ways, prophets and teachers, and we know apostles as well. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, quote, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hand on them and sent them off. Now when I read this, it's compelling to me. I, I, when I go back in my mind to this church that would have happened in Antioch, and I feel that, the vibrancy there, the, the life of Jesus in that place. And I, that gets me excited and that creates this longing. And I just have to imagine that Jesus was delighting in that church of Antioch. Would you agree with me? I mean, we see, in fact, Luke talks about twice, usually only done once, but he talks about the favor of the Lord was on them. He talks about that twice and says, yes, God was looking at this church and it, it was, it, he was taking great delight in that. And there were things that were happening that pr- were profound. In fact, I would argue that it became more than a church. It became a ministry center of, of these ministries flowing in and from the church, that it became not just a local church of Antioch, as we'll see, it became a kingdom hub. It became an ascending church. It had a vision of something more 
that was compelling. And friends, I have to say that, that, that some of this message, and I'm, I'm trying not to be overly critical, so, so hear me in the spirit that I, I say it, is often I have a great disappointment with the churches and the church that I know that I don't feel like it's compelling. And I feel like we're missing it. And there's a, I, I, I hope it's a righteous dissatisfaction that stirs within me on an ongoing basis. And, and so a, a few of the words that are coming are not meant to be overly critical towards us as a community of faith or towards the church in the United States. But I, I just want to share how the Lord has directed from, again, what I hope is this righteous dissatisfaction, how he keeps moving me in this direction. All right? And what I want to talk to you about, if you take out your bulletin, is five, what I'm calling streams of ministry. Five streams of ministry that I just want to touch on real briefly. And the first stream of ministry is that Antioch was a church that had this vibrant teaching of the kingdom of God and its king. So in a beautiful moment in the life of Antioch is Barnabas the leader. He recognizes the favor of God, the blessing of God, and he says, you know what? I think I know someone who would be really compelling to come and teach into the good news of the gospel. And so he goes, and without knowing that Paul would eventually write two-thirds of the epistles of the New Testament, not knowing that, that Paul would be the most compelling teacher um, in the history of the church, he goes and he brings him. And so for a full year, Paul is sharing with Barnabas what God is he's forming and shaping our understanding of God and the kingdom of God and all who we are and, and Jesus and us and you and I in our role. Now, Luke doesn't give us specifics about what Paul and Barnabas taught, but I'm going to take some guesses, okay? One, I'm going to guess that what they taught was pretty close to what Jesus taught. Okay, early church, Jesus. What was Jesus' big idea? Yes, no cup of coffee for you. You should all know that now, right? Unless you're a visitor, all right? Just a little reminder, Matthew 4, 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in the synagogue, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. What did Paul, what was Paul's big idea. Do you know in Acts 20 when he's saying goodbye to the church of Ephesus? This is how Paul describes his teaching ministry. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Proclaiming the kingdom. Isn't that interesting that Paul saw his own teaching ministry in the context of kingdom? Do you know how um, Luke 
the writer of Luke and Acts, inspired writer of Luke and Acts, how he explained Paul's teaching at the very end of the book of Acts. He says this, he, Paul, proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with boldness and without hindrance. Can I read that again? And he, Paul, proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with boldness and without hindrance. Friends, you've heard, many of you have heard me share this before. But it's not okay that I was in ministry for a long time in a graduate of seminary and I didn't know the kingdom of God was Jesus' big idea. And I didn't know that Paul, it was his big idea. And I didn't know that to understand the teaching of the gospel is in the context of the kingdom of God. That's not okay. And many of you know my story that that began to turn and I began to realize that the gospel that I was preaching and proclaiming and teaching and discipling in was incomplete. Not that it was wrong or a different gospel, but it lacked this idea that Jesus came offering this vibrant, intimate, different kind of life for us in the here and now and the restoration of all things. And I said, I long to have a teaching ministry that reflects Jesus' message of a life that he died for us so that we could live. Paul's message of the restoration of all things, of a, of a life that we could step into in the here and now. Yes, is there complexity? A little bit. Uh, our job is to understand and wrestle and let it sink in and then communicate it to this broken world. I believe that's what Antioch was doing, that there was this vibrant kingdom teaching and about Jesus Christ and they were celebrating and God was pouring out his favor and there their lives were being transformed, and they, and they weren't even doing, we don't even know about the details of their evangelism. People were just going, wow. And they were coming to the church from that teaching ministry. And I believe wholeheartedly that Jesus wants that teaching ministry to flow at Springs Community Church. Just the story of a a woman who is a part of our community of faith, I'll call her Rose. And she had come, and she was from a place of brokenness. She was a pastor's wife, and she had been a vibrant part of many communities of faith. She'd experienced large churches and small churches, and yet, she had not allowed bitterness to creep in. She'd not given up on the church, even though her, her husband divorced her and a bunch of messiness, but she still loved Jesus and still loved the church. And she left. She was called away to care for her grandchildren and had a calling under. And she, she wrote one of the most encouraging emails and she talked about the variety of churches that she had been to. And she had talked about all the, the strengths and weaknesses. And she was just thanking me, not because of the preacher that I am, right? I think you can turn on the radio and hear phenomenal preachers, better than me. 
But she was thanking me for the message. That it was a message of, of restoration and healing and renewal. And she said the couple of years that she got to be here was a gift to her. And now she was bringing that with her where she was going. Friends, I think that's the, the teaching ministry that Jesus wants here. Not that we've got it great, not that we've got it all buckled down, not that we've got it all figured out. We're learning, but to press into this compelling, healing, restorative message. In fact, Jesus says the gospel of the kingdom. Do we get how, what good news the kingdom is? Not yet, not yet. Now there's another compelling aspect of the church of Antioch. And if you look at it, it might not be as evident. I think there's hinting at it. But we see in Barnabas, look at some of the words describing Barnabas. I love these words. He, he recognizes, he sees the grace of God. He's a man full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And when he, in his pastoral shepherding ministry to the people of Antioch, he says, listen, it's about the heart. Stay true in your hearts to the Lord. That's the essence. There's one thing that Luke could just briefly say about what Barnabas' message to the church of Antioch was, and he chose to say, the heart. It's about the heart. Stay true to the Lord in the heart. I believe that within this church, the church was growing the kingdom, yes, but first and foremost, growing the kingdom within. The grace of God within. Our faith within. Even the work of the Holy Spirit, I'd like to argue, first and foremost, that internal work of restoration and healing. Why is this important? Because Jesus would articulate that the kingdom of God, Luke 17, when the religious leaders asked Jesus about the coming of the kingdom, he said this, the coming of the kingdom is not something that can be observed nor will people say here it is or there it is because the kingdom of God is within you. It, it's, a, it's a heart matter. Paul would eventually write in his epistle to the Galatians, he'd say, my dear children, for whom I am again in pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. This was the heart of Paul. He wasn't going after simply right beliefs. He wasn't going after that we wouldn't sin and that we would be good active participants within um, our communities. All of that is good and healthy. He wasn't even going after just that we would receive some encouragement for the day and keep our nose clean and serve well, no, what he was going after was this formation, this transformation within, transformation of the heart. You guys all remember one of my favorite questions 
of Jesus is, are you so dull? Right? He asks that question. What is that in the context of? It's when the, pe- when the disciples were missing all of his words about the internal work of God. That where sin is from is not what you take in the body, but it starts in the heart and the soul. And he's teaching this and preaching this. And then the disciples are like, wait a second. Where the- no, are you so dull? Come on, see it. Friends, there's a danger that we've been a little dull. That we've made the main thing about outward things. And we've missed the main thing of the heart and the soul. Just a a, a little personal testimony. I I feel like um, in the last year, for me personally, um, <laughs> I've been thinking of the Star Trek phrase, and I'm not a Trekkie. Yeah, this is unusual. It's usually from Star Wars, but you know how Star Trek, I don't even know the phrase. It just popped in there, but, you know, taking the new frontier of space, right? There's a, there's a sense that all, this globe has been, everybody has seen all the places, even Antarctica, all, we've, we've explored all that. There's no places left to explore, so space has got to be it. Guess what is the unexplored frontier? And I feel like this whole frontier has been open to me. And the Lord is wanting to say, hey, Eric, it's, you got this in your heart. I don't want that for you. That's not good. That's not healthy. Would you take that away? Would you you be healed? I was leading, leading a discussion with church planters just this past week, and it was kind of a roundtable discussion, and I was praying about how I'd lead this discussion, and you know, <clears throat> it is interesting to hear church planters talk about philosophy and strategy and so forth. I really didn't want that. You know what I wanted? I wanted to help them to see what the Lord was saying in here. Before. It was a beautiful discussion. We spent some time in listening prayer, let the Holy Spirit lead. And then there's some vulnerable things that were shared that was beautiful. Never heard that before. What would it look like if we were a church that got this frontier? That personally we understood that it wasn't just about what God wants to do through you. Yes, he wants to do great things. We'll get to that. But first and foremost, that the kingdom is here, that he wants to talk to us about loneliness or brokenness or all of those things, that he wants to know how incredibly intimate he wants to be with us, that this life, this kingdom life, is meant to be shared with him, that we get his voice in our souls. What would it look like if as a church we began to say, what does that look like? How do we understand that? How do we press in? I'm so going to run out of time. Number three. um, The next one is, did you notice a lot of the evangelism that was taking place? 
And Antioch was a church that was graciously sharing the kingdom of God. At risk, they, uh, they saw those Gentiles and be like, mm, I'm not sure if we're supposed to share the good news with those Gentiles, those people. They're pretty different than us. They need to hear about Jesus. The church might kick us out. Let's do it anyways. Right? This, this sacrificial idea, this risk idea reminds me of Jesus. Jesus said this about himself. The son of man came eating and drinking and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So Jesus was taking um, flack from the religious leaders because he was a friend of sinners. Wouldn't it be great as a church if we took flack from others because we were loving well people and telling them about Jesus? Just share this story real briefly because Jim Daly, the the new um, leader of a couple of years of Focus on the Family, I share this because I, I look at the evangelism and the outreach and the witness and the testimony of, of the church in the United States, and it's become so politicalized. And I believe our testimony, our perspective, is pushing non-Christians away from the gospel rather than inviting them, and that grieves me. And right here in our town, is focus on the family, and some would argue that that was on the forefront of that, Jim Daly, I heard him speak. I really like Jim Daly. I really like the direction that he's bringing, Focus on the Family. He was sharing with a group of pastors when he first took the leadership of Focus on the Family. And he told the story of a, a young pastor who's my friend. He still ministers here in Colorado Springs. He said, just give it to me straight. And he said, okay, here's the deal, Jim. I'm trying to tell people of Colorado Springs about Jesus, and you're making it difficult for me. Jim Daly said, that was great. I needed to hear that. Friends, do you know that in our culture, people are less and less interested in the Christian faith? Did you know that? We're feeling the effects of it. Did you know that what studies show is that people are still interested in Jesus? The person of Jesus. That great. What would it look like? And I have plans. If we became a church that simply sacrificially were a friend of sinners, at risk of others throwing flack our way, and we told them about Jesus. And we talked about Jesus, and we weren't condemnational. And we said, no, what you believe wrongly about Jesus, this is who, but gave space for the Holy Spirit to work on their hearts. I believe that God will do great things as we do that in the spirit of Jesus. Amen? Amen. We're going to go a little bit longer. I know that's a huge shock to everyone here. (laughs) Two more points. One... Did you catch that um, the church had some different kind of leaders in it? A, a prophet named Agabus? What? what? Did you get how um, the, the church 
was committed to praying and listening, fasting and listening. And it's at that moment that we see pastors and teachers and then prophets, probably evangelists, shepherds, and they weren't focused on best business practices. They also weren't focused on growth principles of the church. Those aren't bad things in and of themselves, okay? But what was their focus? They were listening. Revelation, the voice of the Spirit was speaking in to them. I wonder if when they prayed and fasted, what they prayed. We don't get a whole lot. I'm just going to guess that it meant something when Jesus said, pray like this. And they prayed the kingdom of God. And they prayed it together. They prayed it individually. They prayed, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Lord, what does it look like for your kingdom to come in our context? How do we join with you in that? Would you lead us to pray? How incredible would it be? I love the translators were forced to put quotes around the Holy Spirit's words. Would it be incredible to have a church that puts quotes around the Holy Spirit's words? And friends, there's a, there's a sadness in me when I read about a prophet and know that many of our churches would have no idea what to do with prophetic ministry. There's also a sadness in me that some churches that talk a lot about prophetic ministry, they do it in an unhealthy and an unhelpful way. And we're left with two sides and I think the enemy is having a field day. What would it look like to be a church that was mindful of both sides and said, no, we want to do it Jesus' way. We want to give delight to Jesus as we listen and we pray and we're empowered by the Spirit in what he's doing. I'm going to have to skip a few other things and just say this. The last one is the spreading of the kingdom. And there is a map that I wanted to show you. And it's hard to see. Sorry about that. Work on that. But you see that arrow up there? Do you know what that arrow is pointing to? Any guesses? Antioch. The church of Antioch. Where did Paul release was he released from his missionary journeys from? Antioch. Where did Paul return from his missionary journeys? Antioch. The church started not to be just a church, not just a ministry center, but a hub of ministry where the kingdom of God and these five streams of ministry were flowing from the church of Antioch. More on that later. So what would it look like 
if for the next seven years, we said, Jesus, we want to do our best to listen and to pray and press into being a church that looks like a church that you would take delight in, that would give you a smile on your face, where these streams of ministry would be flowing within and from our church, that we would figure out what that would look like. Now, one response is, boy, Pastor Eric, that is wonderful. I think you and your staff are going to have a great time doing that. I've overlaid this passage with Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. And can we read this together? So Christ himself, oh, uh, just read it in your, because uh, I'm going to add to it. So, <laughs> sorry, my bad. So Christ himself gave some to be the apostles. What were they doing? They were spreading the kingdom. Some to be prophets. What were prophets doing? They were praying the kingdom. Some to be evangelists. They were, what were they doing? Sharing the kingdom. Some to be pastors, actually, more literal is, is shepherds. What were they doing? I believe they were shepherds of the soul, Barnabas. Growing the kingdom within and teachers, what were they doing? They were teaching the kingdom. You see it? God's given us these ministries. Now, let's talk about how these leaders live that out. What's their primary role? Two. You know what? You can read this part with me. Let's read this together. <laughs> Two, equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Who is his people? Us. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, don't look around like I don't was. Huh? That's you all. All right, worship team, come on up. And we're going to close in prayer. I did my darndest to have it as short and concise. Would you look at the response card? We're going to we're going to take offering at the end, and would you think about this, and would you respond in the first way the Lord links you to that? Some of you might be saying, boy, I, I'm relatively new, or I've never really jumped in with both sides. I want to know more about this vision of kingdom life. And so the kingdom partners would be a great place for you to jump in. I want to also encourage you, if you don't know in the unique ways that God has gifted you, do you know that you have a gift? At least one, probably several. And he wants you to use those gifts in the body of Christ to advance his kingdom. If you are not using your gifts in the body of Christ, we're missing your gifts. We need your gifts. We can't do this just as leaders. Kingdom partners, we will help you discover what your gifts are. Kingdom life groups, that's a place where we're learning this kingdom message, this kingdom ministry, and this kingdom mission. And we get to ask questions and we get to wrestle 
If you'd like to be in that in a group, I'd encourage you, would you check that box? Leadership development, Sean talked about that. That's a deeper level where we are discipling in a deep way these five streams of ministry. And then the final box is this. If there's one stream that you're like, yes, I don't know, but God has me for that stream. Sign me up. Don't know what it is. You can mark that box and with your name on it, someone will follow up and talk to you a little bit of the greater details. Friends, I'm asking you, Would you build this church with me? Would you build this ministry center with me? Would you build this kingdom hub? I know there are barriers for many of us. In the heart and in our lives, would you push through those barriers and go after this reimagined church that would give delight to Jesus. He's placed on my heart this seven-year vision that I'm going to go after it with whatever I have, all the resources I have, and then evaluate at the end of the seven years of what that looks like. Would you join me in this, I would ask. Let me pray. So, Father, so confident in what you're saying, not confident in how I've said it. Holy Spirit, we give you that moment just to emblazon our hearts with passion for you. each and every person wants to be used by you. So would you direct us, Holy Spirit? We come back to that prayer. Would you direct us, not just in our marriages, in our relationships, in our professional lives, would you direct us in our engagement of your body, the church that you created? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray.